0: rubbed with pumice and marinated in sesame oil until the skin was soft as eiderdown in this manner they had scaled marble columns and waterfalls of ice from massilia to Hadramaut. the rough stone blocks were easy for them now up they went like bats upon a cave wall moonlight glinted on bright things gripped between their teeth The first of the assassins reached the window-ledge. He sprang tiger-like upon it and peered into the chamber. Moonlight spilled across the room. The pallet was lit as if by day. The boy lay sleeping, motionless as one already dead. His dark hair fell loose upon the cushions. His pale lamb's throat shone against the silks. The assassin took his dagger from between his teeth. With quiet deliberation he surveyed the room, gauging its extent and the possibility of traps. It was large, shadowy, empty of ostentation. Three pillars supported the ceiling. In the distance stood a door of teak barred on the inside. A chest half-filled with clothes sat open against the wall. He saw a royal chair draped with a discarded cloak, sandals lying on the floor, An onyx basin filled with water. A faint trace of perfume hung on the air. The assassin, for whom such scents were decadent and corrupt, wrinkled his nose. The sect avoided perfumes for practical reasons, preferring to coat themselves with scents appropriate to the conditions of each job. Pollen in the gardens, incense in the temples, sand dust in the deserts, dung and offal in the towns. They were dedicated fellows. His eyes narrowed. He reversed the dagger, holding it between finger and thumb by its shining, gleaming tip. It quivered once, twice. He was gauging the range here. He'd never missed a target yet, from Carthage to Old Colchis. Every knife he'd thrown had found its throat. His wrist flickered. The silver arc of the knife's flight cut the air in two. It landed with a soft noise, hilt-deep in the cushion, an inch from the child's neck. The assassin paused in doubt, still crouched upon the sill. The back of his hands bore the criss-cross scars that marked him as an adept of the dark academy. An adept never missed his target. The throw had been exact, precisely calibrated, yet it had missed. Had the victim moved a crucial fraction? Impossible. The boy was fast asleep. From his person he pulled a second dagger. I won't say where he pulled it from. Let's just say that the knife had hygiene issues as well as being quite sharp. Another careful aim. The assassin was conscious of his brothers behind and below him on the wall. He felt the grim weight of their impatience. Flick of the wrist. A momentary arc. With a soft noise the second dagger landed in the cushion, an inch to the other side of the prince's neck. As he slept, perhaps he dreamed. A smile twitched ghost-like at the corners of his mouth. Behind the black gauze of the scarf that masked his face, the assassin frowned. From within his tunic he drew a strip of fabric, twined tightly into a cord. In seven years since the hermit had ordered his first kill— his garrote had never snapped, his hands had never failed him. The hermit of the mountain trained his followers in numerous methods of foolproof murder. They could use garrotes, swords, knives, batons, ropes, poisons, discs, bowlers, pellets, and arrows inimitably, as well as being pretty handy with the evil eye. Death by fingertip and toe-flex was also taught, and the furtive nip was a specialty. Stomach threads and tapeworms were available for advanced students, and the best of it was that it was all guilt-free. Each assassination was justified and condoned by a powerful religious disregard for the sanctity of other people's lives. With leopard stealth, he slid from the sill and stole across the moonlit floor. In his bed the boy murmured something. He stirred beneath his sheet. The assassin froze rigid, a black statue in the centre of the room. Behind, at the window, two of his companions insinuated themselves...